welcome, welcome everyone to Best on the Block. I'm Kimberly Paget Morrison of the BMP brand. Uh, we are a nonprofit marketing agency building the community, one brand, one business at a time. Best on the Block provides you with personal and business brand coaching and guidance, and we aim to be your partner in becoming Best on the Block. Uh, your brand, as we always say, lies somewhere in the middle of how you make them feel, what you say, and what you do. This particular journey, however, um, that we're on is one of exploration, um, less coaching and guidance, and like I stated, one of personal exploration. Due to some major setbacks, um, I've chosen not to just focus the podcast in, in this series on textbook branding, marketing, and personal brand um, guidance and coaching, but to take you with me as I expand my look at my own brand in an effort to lift out of a professional slump. Instead of trying to solve all things Kimberly by myself, I am reading and walking through the book, Survive the Next 365 by Clark Garrison. Uh, go back and listen to the previous episodes in the series and also go to Amazon.com to purchase your copy of Survive the Next 365. The author has made it available for only 99 cents to accommodate us during this series. So let's get at it. This episode of Best on the Block like I stated, is a part of the Survive the Next 365 series. This episode is highlighting and exploring chapter one, which is have a game plan. In chapter one, the author references the game of life as a foundation for his train of thought. Okay, if you're under the age of 40, you may not even know what I'm referring to, that the game of life is an actual board game. You may even be asking, what is a board game? I'm sure my, well, my children know because they live here, but some people may be asking, what is a board game? The Game of Life was and is a board game that takes you through various life experiences with each roll of the die. To win, you have to obtain the basics of life, car, home, money, family, and have the least setbacks by the end of the gameplay. The path for life in the game was pretty normal and planned out with minimal detours that were not too earth-shattering. The plan of the game was to simply win. The detours may have been like a flat tire or you overslept or you missed a birthday. Um, not major life circumstances that we all face like death, illness, loss of limb, bankruptcy, and the like. The author... Clark Garrison goes on to describe how most of us um, play the real game of life similar to the board game with a goal to win without many pitfalls. We have a roadmap of what we think should be our lives. The author also talks about um, the NFL, NHL, and the NBA and the game plans they create with the goal of winning. The author challenges how many of us actually place importance on planning our days, years, careers, or our goals. Not just writing your goals down, but creating and following an actual strategy for the win. 
He challenges that we are not really taught how to properly game plan. The author outlines the following as his key steps to properly planning. First, research your goals. I'll take you through the author's uh, path on how he researched you know, his goals for writing this book. The author's goal was to become a first-time author. So he began to research the art of writing. Writing a book had only been a thought until this time. He had once written a monthly column for a local newspaper, but that's as close to official professional writing that he had gotten in his life at that point. So he began to buy every book with writing styles that he liked. He researched book signings and author readings. He did all of his research before putting any pen to paper. The author reflects that if he applied the same vigor and diligence to his real estate career, that he may have had more consistent and prolonged success. If you guys can remember to the previous episodes, this was the catalyst for Survive the Next 365, the book that we're exploring, is that the author actually had a significant career pitfall because he was a real estate investor and at the time of the real estate crash, the, uh, the market crash in 2008, he lost his career, which led to this wonderful periodical. Uh, during his real estate career, uh, he decided to that he did not need to do much research or get any training to become rich because, again, his motivation for doing um, real estate investing was to make tons of money. Hence, his first deal, he quickly learned, um, did not go as smooth as he would have liked it to. He found out that it took more work than just a smooth tongue and the ability to verbally close a deal to be successful consistently in that business. He found out the hard way um, that he didn't know the answers to these questions. Um, I have to provide a contract? Who knew? I had to fill out the contract myself? Who knew? I needed to hire a closing attorney? What? I, I can't just use a regular attorney? Uh, I had to pull the title? That's not my, I didn't know that was my job. Earnest money. What was that and how much do I ask for? And what if the buyer doesn't have it? I needed a property inspection. I have to order that too. Also, I had to review the HUD-1 documentation. Ugh, said the author. All that made me completely tired when I read it. I'm sure it made him exhausted to have to live it. Good news, though. The author became a success despite not knowing these basics in the beginning. He admits the first five years would have been much better spent if he had done some research and training. And his deals would have been more lucrative. And more consistent. The second uh, step that he outlines in proper game planning, planning is just that, proper game planning. After you've done your research, however, because he wants to make sure that you do the first step, after you've done the research, actually make a plan. Like we discussed in previous episodes, um, sports is a great model to use for success. Each player must watch plays, research the other team, and make a winning play that can defeat his or her opponent based on the research. The author, the author suggests to first get a clear and concise idea and create a plan to support and bring that idea to fruition. 
Here's what the author learned early on. If your dream or idea loses its luster, you may not have enough passion for that idea to see it through to the end. Select the idea that you can be consistent in your follow-through with. This may mean several tries, trial and error, various do-overs, until you land that one that you can build a solid game plan and strategy to support. Next, the other step he states, and this is the third step, don't anticipate the worst. I'll say that again. Lastly, don't anticipate the worst. In the words of Benjamin Franklin, one of his famous quotes is, I imagine some horrible things in my life. A few of them actually occurred. <laughs> what Ben Franklin was talking through was as he pondered a lot of his um, big ideas and inventions, um, he would plan for the worst. Um, he imagined some really horrible things to happen um, in his life and in his career and, you know, in his day-to-day -day life. And what he states is only a few of those actually occur occurred. Most of them occurred in his mind. Most of them he conjured up. The author discusses how in our culture um, it's expected that you expect the best, but plan for the worst. Plan for your goal, uh, but the unexpected ne negative outcomes you also have to plan for. That, that's everyone's natural propensity. The author states, why in the world would you plan for something totally unexpected? When you plan for the worst, you set yourself up to expect the worst. I'll say that again. When you plan for the worst, you set yourself up to expect the worst. And that's precisely what you might get. So research your goals, proper game planning, and don't anticipate the worst. Now, for me personally, the first two points, not so much a problem. I, I, I'm sort of the research queen and I make plans for most things um, that I endeavor to accomplish. But then not anticipating the worst thing, uh, that's a tough one. Our culture often teaches us to be prepared for the worst. I'm, I'm no different than anyone else. Um, in the book, Prepare for the Worst, Plan for the Best, uh, Disaster Preparedness and Recovery for the Small Business, uh, which I've read, uh, Donna Childs is the author. She gives us a blueprint for business disaster preparedness. She states that preparing for the worst will guarantee improved business efficiency, eliminate day-to-day -day mishaps, and prepare for the worst with effective disaster contingency planning. She says these measures of preparedness can limit the damage of an unforeseen disaster but also can minimize daily mishaps. That's how our brains work. We believe if we're constantly thinking about the worst, that when it comes up, we'll be prepared. Right? Wrong. It's almost like a tornado. Like, I can really be prepared for a tornado, but emotionally, and that's what I'm talking about. Regardless of what happens, you know, I can board my house up. I can have the sandbags. I live in Florida, so this is kind of second nature. I can board the windows up, have the sandbags. 
Um, I can even like, you know, what I do all the time, I always buy a home, make sure we're inland enough where we don't get the storm. doesn't matter. If that storm wants to come through and level my house, it's going to level the house. Period. So, with that said, let's go back to not anticipating the worst. I work daily to shake the negative negativity and have a positive abs, you know, attitude and an absolute belief that you can achieve what you want. I try. We're going to get this. We're going to do it. Some believe that preparing for the worst will give a sense of security and lessens the fears and anxieties as stated in the article. Uh, the article's name is to reach is called to reach your goals. Look it up online. It's called to reach your goals. Start with planning for the worst. And it's by Jenny Marshall. Marshall is spelled M-A-R-C-H-A-L. It was published in the online periodical Life Hack. Well, in this article, uh, Marshall does admit uh, that when trying to reach our goals, fear manifested as worry is the number one blocker to many people um, in the event of contemplating and going after your dreams. When we enter the journey, we feel vulnerable to failure. And much to, uh, much of the time that we're spending um, you know, on being anxious and worrying, much of our precious energy on worry and anxiousness is wasted. Now, outside of its, you know, just plain unproductive to worry, um, anxiousness can cause a breakdown in your health and well-being. The Chopra, uh, Deepak Chopra effect reports that um, it is easy to overuse worry and it can quickly become draining and can instill fear. Most use worry not as a catalyst for driving motivation. Um, it really distracts you and it muddies up your decision making and prolongs your suffering. This is my issue. I worry the hell out myself when dealing with certain situations. I give you the current situation that um, led to this particular exploration of Survive the Next 365. Um, and trying to revamp my career, I'm looking for other positions. Um, I apply for the position, uh, do my best at the interview, follow all the rules, follow up, um, sending my thank you cards to the appropriate, you know, parties and leadership teams um, during the process, and then, boom, you get that dreaded email or letter advising that we've moved forward with another candidate, or. We're moving in a different direction, or I love this one. We have decided to um, put the position on hold at this time. It is after that letter comes up that I usually go into a complete panic mode about never being able to find the right position. I'm not the right fit. There's never going to be the right opportunity again for me. Uh, what is wrong with me? I know I'm qualified for that position. In fact, I'm probably overqualified. Should I stop looking and just collect unemployment? Uh, do I need to move on, you know, move to find a role at all? Um, you know, should I go work at the Mickey D's? <laughs> should I change my hair? You know, okay. And then the personal woman type stuff comes in. That's where this line of um, questioning myself comes in. Should I change my hair? 
and I have to explain to the audience who has you know doesn't know me I have like a really huge afro so I, I deal with that a lot you know oh was it my hair <laughs> was that too much um should I wear pants or a dress to the interview the next time was that and you know was that the wrong thing to do um the other thing do I go for a lower pain position with less responsibility um etc 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 I told over all these questions for like weeks and months on the end until the next round of applications I go through, the next round of interviews, and then comes the rejection letters again, and then begins the worry all over again. The detriment is that most of my worry happens internally. Like most people don't see that I'm doing this to myself. Because I historically um, have a outward position of strength and courage and love of myself and all of that um i pull it together quite well so again like i stated most of the worry that i'm speaking of happens internally but then sometimes very few times but sometimes it will hit a boiling point and burst open and over and flows out onto the world um then I feel doubly bad because I've now spilled my worry openly onto those around me and I passed on my particular angst. Not to even mention the physical and emotional ailments that can result from worry. Here's some. Worry can cause disrupted sleep, headaches, difficulty concentrating, nausea, muscle tension, exhaustion irritability elevated levels of stress can you know elevate the hormone cortisol difficulty making decisions um, these are just a few of those emotional and physical effects of worry when worry begins to harm and hurt you it is time to take notice and make some major adjustments I've suffered from intense worry for most of my life. And like I said, I do it internally. So this is probably a revelation to some that I actually do worry about certain things. Um, the first time I notice how my body and mind functions during a time of worry, when I was a freshman in college, um, my parents were in the midst of a crazy divorce. They had um, the divorce actually, but the proceedings and the whole process began my senior year in high school, and then filtered over to um, my freshman year in college. Um, and to give you perspective, by this time, my parents have been married for 20 plus years. And I'm then trying to navigate what they're going through. And then I'm also trying to navigate my first year at a major university. And all I could do was worry about my mother because I had this incredible guilt of leaving her at home alone and going off to this brand new world of university life um it, it pretty much crippled my concentration and motivation to want to even stay in school um it caused a real heightened awareness of me being an introvert um it was at an all-time high at that point so um but not too many people know knew what was happening or what i was going through um after the divorce was over the anxiousness subsided a bit um, my mother uh, worked really hard to sort of rebuild her life and move on. So that was encouraging to me to do the same. Um, 
then a year after that, my father in his infinite wisdom, and I love my dad, but he is who he is at that time. Um, in his infinite wisdom, he refused to honor, you know, one of the payments he was um, ordered to pay in the divorce decree. And unbeknownst to him, the popo will come pick you up. We don't care what kind of professional you are, who you are in the community, what's going on. If you have violated, you know, what's written in that decree, they will come get you. And they did. They came to get him, um, picked him up, and he had to serve a little bit of time for that particular violation. So here goes Kimberly again. Worry, worry, worry. Worrying about my dad sitting in the, in the pokey. Worrying about my mom and, you know, how that looks to, you know, because my parents are pretty, um, they're socialites. So, you know, everyone's in their stuff and in their business. So, I, you know, I worried about what that looked like to her, you know, how that affected her day to day. Um, so, again, worry, 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 and more worry. So now I'm worried about my mom and my dad. And their whole adult divorce dealings. Because that's what it was. I, I know that now. But at the time, it would have been nice to you know be able to process that. It really didn't have a whole lot to do with me. It was really two adults trying to work out the rest of their lives. But again, worry. That was one of the big things when I was younger. And I realized that I really had to start doing some things to control how it was affecting me internally, because it did. Usually I can control it, but more recently, it happened again. I thought I had a plan that just did not work out the way it was supposed to. Oh, Kimberly, when I moved to you know my hometown, I had completely downsized my expenses that would allow me to financially you know, take a lower paying job that I thought would be, you know, more socially and civic facing, you know, helping the community. It will be a more fulfilling career. So again, a downside, you know, I'm planning. Like, you know, we stated in the book, we should. Made a plan. So I strategically downsized all of my expenses, all of my responsibilities. I, I can handle this. Well, that move that I thought was going to be this groundbreaking move lasted a, a, a good second. You know, I won't give you the specifics. It just lasted a second. And it put my finances and my self-esteem in a pretty pretty good tailspin. I mean, it was a fantastic and well-thought-out plan, I thought. And it just went to hell in the handbasket. So, worry was on overload. As I tried to manage paying what was already a reduced amount of expenses with now is virtually nothing because I now had no income coming in. Um, I then worry how I'm going to regain, you know, clients that I had let go so I can, you know, concentrate on this endeavor. Um, projects, um, you know, how I was going to get those back. Um, and I worried a lot that people could actually feel the heat of my angst coming out my pores. I always thought, people know. They know I'm worried. They know this is really hard. Um, so I swear everyone could see it all over my face and in my body language and my speech. So they added more angst and worry. 
trying to overcompensate to cover that up. It is that worry that led me to this moment to begin the Survive the Next 365 journey. As discussed in the previous episode, the instructions, there will be an exercise at the end of each chapter. So here we are. Welcome to the first exercise. We all promised now in previous episodes that we would select a method to record the answers and notes in support of the exercises. Um, I'm going to, I decided to keep an online journal in Google Docs. This will allow me to reference my notes and consistently record my journey from anywhere because my notes will be in the cloud. Inbox me and let me know what method you chose based on the previous episodes. You know, are you going to journal? Um, are you going to, you know, have a whiteboard? Are you going to, you know, have post-it notes or you have a notebook? What are you doing? Let me know and we can share that with everyone else. I am going to now share my answer to the first question in the exercise. Uh, the first question says, if you were without financial restraints, if you were the perfect age, if you did not have kids, if you lived in the ideal city, if you had the resources and connections, what would you be doing with your life? Let's unpack that for a little bit. Remember, the author did not ask us what will we be doing as a career or a job, blah, blah. They asked, what would you be doing with your life? There were no financial restraints. If you were the perfect age, which you know, a lot of times as we get older, we say, oh, I can't do that anymore. I'm too old. Um, if you did not have kids, because that adds a level of responsibility, you just can't do everything. Um, if you lived in the ideal city, because if you're trying to do something that requires warm weather, but you live in Seattle, um, take that out of the equation. Um, and if you had the right resources and connections, what would you be doing with your life? What would it be? Now, the exercise also calls for a pre-step before you actually answer that question. The exercise calls for you to write down every single excuse and obstacle that may dare to stand in your way of whatever you believe that thing is that you'd be doing with your life. Write down every one of them. Be it 5, 20, or 200. Write them down. This will lead way for you to clear the way of any excuses and obstacles and allow you to dare to dream. And you're asking, did I do that pre-step? Yep, I did. Honestly, it was a bit much. Because some of the things that we view as obstacles, once we put it down on paper, we realize, oh, that's not so bad. I really can overcome that. So you almost, you're writing them down and erasing them at the same time is how I felt. I don't know how you're going to feel, but that's how I felt. Now, um, after I did the first step, the pre-work, I then could clear my mind to what I know I would want to be doing with my life. I'd want to run a media network with signature, inspirational, and entertaining programs. 
since there are no financial barriers, no constraints, I would allow, all, I would want all the writers to have creative freedom to try things out, to not worry about ratings, to not worry about, you know, who are the sponsors and, you know, will this appeal to this person or that person to really just be very creative and do things that mean something. We would have the opportunity to not be perfect or right all the time, which would be liberating, I think. I would hold the programming and station accountable to be authentic only. Not to get the top ratings, not to make the most money, but to just be authentic. That would be what I would be doing with my life. Um, I am interested in what you guys discovered about your authentic dreams and aspirations. Inbox me with your thoughts. Um, I'd love to hear um, also what your answers were to the exercise. Well, that was a lot to unpack in chapter one. Um, hope it was thought provoking for you as it has been for me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Best on the Block. Again, as we explore Survive the Next 365 by author Clark Garrison, go to Amazon.com, get your copy. This particular episode is chapter one. Have a game plan. Um, thank you for listening. And also thank you, big ups to Kablastic Village for uh, the cool intro music as usual. And visit them on SoundCloud for your next track. Until next time, I am Kimberly Paget Morrison, and as always, let's continue to strive to be best on the block.